Hello, everybody. Do you like my intro there, that music? I call that the call of the soul, you know, kind of like the call of the wild. I'm doing my part. It's a great thing to have your own show, you know, on radio. The only other next best thing would be probably being on a major television show. But then again, I don't know. I like this. I like my own radio show on BBS Radio. Welcome, everybody, from around the world, hopefully, wherever you are, in China, in New Zealand, in Japan, in Canada, in Florida, of the United States, in Venezuela. People who have access to internet radio listen to these shows because they're enlightening. And I was just watching television, my friends, and there's all these new movies coming out. Now, I know that Hollywood actors and actresses have to make money. It's a job, and they do a good job at it. They do well at it. But there's so much violence, you know. I was just watching this new one coming out, Nightmare Alley. Is that a good movie to go to bed watching just before going to bed? If you know what I mean. I saw a person getting electrocuted, fired, and the usual kind of violence, people getting shot, killed, all kinds of fantasy violence. But what I talk about is spirituality and reality, not fantasy. And it might be hard to listen to. It all depends on what level your soul is in your development. Right? I'd like to first talk about, this is a very special time of the year. I always love it. You know, they say it's the most wonderful time of the year. Thanksgiving usually begins the Christmas holiday season. People put the lights up, and there's a sound of Christmas carols in the air. And the reason for the season, of course, is the birth of a baby that was born in Bethlehem all those years ago. But it was special because there was divine intervention, my friends, divine intervention of a very special type. And that doesn't happen too often throughout the centuries, you know. doesn't happen too often. Even before Jesus' time, there was divine intervention, too, with Moses, you know, leading the, the Hebrews out of Egypt to their freedom. They'd been enslaved in Egypt, and there was that trip. There was the Mount Sinai experience. There was the miracles there with the Pharaoh, you know. I don't need to tell you all what they were. And then during Jesus' time, all those miracles. And although some people might not agree that Jesus was the Son of God, and I don't look at him that way myself, because I'm a Son of God, too. Even Jesus said, our Father, when he taught us how to pray. And really, that's case closed, you know. Logically, there's no further discussion on the matter. But you are children of God, too. I sang a song, a solo in church last week. And the last part of the song was about, you are a child of God. It's your season to be blessed. And I'm blessing you. You bless me and bless each other because we're interconnected. We're all one. In spirit, right? 
One thing I wanted to say was, I can't remember something I'm going to tell you right now. And don't forget it, please. And sometimes when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, remember this, because it's very important, I feel, and appropriate at this time of the year. And this is something that could help change our destiny, move us in the right direction to where we need to go. Because nowadays with technology kind of hitting us from all sides and all this fantasy violence on television, it's important to keep our spiritual life on track. And now what I'm about to say may shock you, but like I said, very important that we, not only you, but we also remember this and not forget it because it's so obvious, yet we don't think about it and we haven't thought about it for a long time. We don't think about it. I think about it more than you because I'm an older person. I'm 67. My mother moved me in the right direction. Hold on, please. Uh, one of our dogs wants to come out. There you go. There goes one of our dogs. You know, I'm, I'm back here in the enclosed patio. And so the dogs have to come through here to go out to the backyard. And during my show, it happens that some want to go out and come back in. So, therefore, the interruptions. One of them I just given a treat a little while ago, and I think she went to either eat or bury it. You know. So what I was going to tell you, it's very important to remember, is we as a civilization throughout the centuries, for a long time, thousands of years in our past, have been monitored and been under the guidance and guardianship, if you will, of a very advanced extraterrestrial civilization who have intervened in our past. Specifically what I was mentioning in Moses' time and Jesus' time, it was them that sent Jesus. And I'll explain that to you in a little more detail as we go along here. Some people don't give really any second thought about the miracles that Jesus performed, for example, or how Moses was able to part the Red Sea. But from my research, because I've sought answers to the questions that I've had, not many people do. It's something an older soul will do. A younger soul doesn't preoccupy themselves with the higher level of spiritual development that an older soul will. But I'm sharing this because the time is always right, especially in a world with a lot of violence, to share the good stuff, the spiritual stuff. So yes, this extraterrestrial civilization has been monitoring us for thousands of years. They are, in our Milky Way galaxy, one of the three most advanced spiritually and technologically their spacecraft are capable of going interdimensional, traveling several times the speed of light to wherever they need to go to. And 
we've reached a crossroads in our development as a civilization where we need to do the right things, not only for the world, the planet, to ensure its longevity and the ecological systems are maintained and keep on going the way they were meant to and take care and look after the environment appropriately to ensure our future for our generations to come. This extraterrestrial race is extremely intelligent. They have been in existence longer, many hundreds of thousands of years longer than our Milky Way galaxy. Well, I take that back. Than our solar system was in existence before it was born. Yes, they are in a Milky Way galaxy. And there are other galaxies, as you know, and other civilizations out there. We're in a circle going around the center of the universe. I'm going to read to you from a book, my favorite book, one of my favorite books, if not the favorite book of mine, called Abduction to the Night Planet. Also, Thaya Uba, The Golden Planet. Thaya Uba, T-H-I-A-O-U-P-A. Before I do, let me just tell you a little bit about my day. I had a good day this morning. I woke up. Uh, I went to the track and did some sprinting. Forward and backward sprinting. That's a good exercise to keep up, my friends. I got my CPAP machine last week, and it's already, I had gotten it, I think it was last Monday, and I had a big mask to put on my face, and that didn't work out, it was leaking, I tried it, and I wish I didn't have sleep apnea, you know, it's very common with older people especially those that work in an office-type environment behind a computer every day, you know. And I wish I didn't have to. I've been racking my brain over the years. Just like Einstein developed his theories of special and general relativity, how he racked his brain for years to come up with those great, incredible principles, you know, and theories. I've been trying to figure out how to get rid of or how to cope with my sleep apnea. That's uh, something that I would like to share with people what I've learned, but... Unfortunately, you know, sooner or later, I always have a sleep apnea attack. So getting that machine back has provided a level of comfort, if you will. Now, I think um, I, might be able to, I might be able to keep it at bay, so to speak, or at least have it under control so I don't have to suffer any of these attacks where you wake up breathing, you know, you've read about it, heard about it. Anyway, so then I, that mask didn't work. I got a, a, a nasal mask that went over the nose. I tried the nasal pillars last year. I had my machine for about a month or two. It wasn't working out. I guess it was the nasal pillars. So they came and picked it up and took it away. I tried to get it back like a couple of months later in December of last year. And I only just got it back last week. That's how long it took because Medicare requires that. If you turn the machine back in, you have to go through the whole process again. You have to do the sleep studies again. You have to have the face-to-face meeting with your primary care manager again. 
Oh, it was a nut roll, so to speak. So I finally got it done. So then I was trying to figure out what kind of pillow to sleep with, you know, a contour pillow, a wedge pillow, regular pillow, small pillow, big pillow. Now I've been sleeping without a pillow, and it's working. So I sleep without a pillow with the mask on, and so far so good. But that's just me, you know. I'm different than other people. We all are different, although we are interconnected. We are one in spirit. You know that, right? So we're going to read from this book. That's what's been going on in my life. Um, not much else to report. You know, it's been slow at work because of the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. I did. I went out with my wife on Thanksgiving Day. We were going to go to the Golden Corral because we'd eaten there the Sunday before after church. And the food was really good at this one location. So we went back there, but there was a line outside the door. It was 11.30 when we got there. It opened up at 11 o'clock. And there was a huge line outside, cars pulling up still as we were driving out looking for a parking space. People walking to that line. And I imagine the line extended inside and around. So I said to Jackie, my wife, um, no, let's go elsewhere. It's <laughs> too long. We went to Jim's, which is a, a popular restaurant chain here in Texas. And we were seated immediately and we had a nice meal. And so. That was really the highlight of my Thanksgiving. Although I came back home, my stepdaughter cooked up everything, turkey, ham, gravy, greens, potatoes, green beans, sweet potato pie, pecan pie, stuffing with giblets in it, cornbread, dinner rolls. But I'm a vegan, most 99% vegan, so I had some of the sides. And... That's okay, you know. I had made an exception, though. The last two times I went to gyms, that first time, and then last night we went back, and I had an egg white omelet, an egg white omelet, and with vegetable omelet. It was okay. Um, but I, I still think that my body can't tolerate. I've gotten so used to eating vegan stuff that now I can't eat. Um, I definitely don't eat meat, but I eat... Um, maybe things with a little bit of egg or dairy products and them. But ultimately, I think what I've learned over the years, because I've been a vegan since 1999, going on 23 years. Next year, it'll be 23, 23 years. Yeah. That um, my body functions well enough. As long as I'm able to get sufficient amounts of protein and calcium, which I really don't focus on too much. I'm supposed to be taking B12 on a regular basis, but I don't do it as much as I should. This is a wake-up call for me. I will start to try to do it more, but I don't, really don't like taking those pills. I think if you eat a lot of vegetables, you get all the essential vitamins and minerals, which I do. I eat a lot of vegetables. A lot of tofu. When I had tofu today at lunch, we went to a Thai restaurant. And then the texture. I like veggie, vegan jerk. I eat a lot of that. Although it's hard to get some stuff that is not sweet. You know, I'm trying not to eat sweet food. 
because um, one thing is back to your teeth. And so I like fruit. It, my friends, you know, in my opinion, there's nothing that can compare with a nice, delicious, sweet tasting piece of natural fruit. You know, you can have your pies and cakes and ice cream and all that stuff, but really, you get, I had pineapple today. Some nice, juicy, sweet pineapple. Just think of all the different fruits out there. Watermelon, grapes, apples, oranges, bananas. There's so many beautiful, delicious fruit out there. Why would you need to have something else? And you know, it's better for your body as far as fiber, you know. In my opinion, you can never eat too much fruit. Although, you know, there is fructose, and that's a concern, but that's my opinion. I, I think they say, that, yes, you can eat too much fructose, but there's nothing like a good piece of fruit. Give me a nice piece of fruit. But I've eaten my share of sweets, you know. Until just last week, I was eating little pieces of pie and stuff. And, yes, they taste great, but, you know, it contributes to sleep apnea. Actually, did you know that? And food with salt, a lot of salt in it, too. But I survived, thanks to God. You know, thanks to the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe I've survived. I've had some bad sleep having attacks. But I still work out all the time. If I'm 67 years old, you know, I'm sprinting. I sprint all the time. I, I wear these shoes that don't have any laces. And let me share that. This is, before I get going with the reading here, just I'll do, add a couple of tips and what I've learned that I'm sharing, I'm sharing with you. You can accept it or not, believe it or not. You know, I've done a lot of research, tried these out. I'm an experimenter. I do things and I find out what works and what doesn't work, you know. And so I've been doing a lot of sprinting over the last five years, 100-meter sprints. It feels good, you know, to push your body to that limit. Feel the wind on your face when you're running, you know. As long as you do it well and you have good form. And backward spreading, too. Believe it or not, do the research on backward running. Engage some other muscles. And it's also better for your knees when you do it both ways. You've got to learn to remember to do that. Learn and remember to do that. So anyway, I've got these shoes. They're slip-on. New Balance. You can also you can find them on the internet. The thing, the theory behind that. That's why I've seen. I think so many people like wearing boots, and I need to buy myself some boots. It's because when you tighten up shoes on your ankles. Now I might be wrong. This is my opinion from what I've learned. So don't take it negatively. That when you tighten your shoes with laces, it constricts the the blood vessels in your ankle and doesn't allow free movement of, of your body. The natural bi biomechanics of walking or running uh, are interrupted, if you will, by the shoelaces that you tie your shoes up with. Now, women, they know the deal. Although they, they wear these shoes called high heels, and I don't know how they do it, because I've never tried any, but they rarely, rarely see women wear socks, you know. And these slip-on athletic shoes are a new thing. You watch. You know, they'll start becoming more popular. In my opinion, they will. And these 
ones that I have that I'm wearing right now are New Balance sport slip-on running shoes. And you got to try them. You don't have to walk, fool around with laces. Laces coming undone. And you don't wear, I don't wear socks in them. I don't like socks. They, they seem uncomfortable on my, on my feet, you know. I haven't been wearing socks for quite a while now. And by the way, did you know that Einstein, one of the smartest men in the world, never wore socks? But his reason for not wearing them was different than mine. He would say, I don't wear socks because every time I do, my big toe puts a hole in the sock. And also, Usain Bolt, hold on. Usain Bolt, who is the fastest man in the world, no one can deny that. He won three Olympic 100-meter and 200-meter runs in a row. So the fastest man in the world doesn't wear socks when he's sprinting. But you have the smartest man ever to have lived and the fastest man ever have lived who don't or didn't wear socks. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, that's just me, and so far so good. I even have a, a letter from a doctor, uh, an Air Force 06 Colonel Holberg. I went to see him, and I said, I don't want to wear socks at work. And, you know, I'm, I'm around some people. If they see me with uh, bare ankles, they'll usually be wearing socks. You know, that's part of the dress code. No one's ever said that. Women, they don't wear socks hardly at all. I've seen them walking around with these shoes on with no socks. High heels, no socks. Rarely do I see a woman wearing socks. And so anyway, I got this letter, and I, I keep it in my files in case anybody asks. When I say, I would say, look, you know, I have permission to not wear socks because they're not for everybody. You know, there's nothing in the in the rule book, so to speak, so to speak, that says that you have to wear. Is the reason I don't wear socks? Two reasons, mainly because. When the, bi the biomechanics of walking dictate that the toes need to splay when you walk. And when you wear socks, the toes don't splay as they should, as they should. You know what I'm saying? Also, when you have socks inside your shoes, then your feet move around a lot inside the shoe. And so that can cause stress fractures and also bone splints. Make sense? does logic you can't deny logic some logic is irrefutable do the research yourself if you don't believe me there's a really good article on the internet that explains just that toes need display and the foot moves around a lot inside the shoe and you could say well maybe you need to get the right kind of shoe but even still if you have the right size the right width your foot still moves around with socks on now without socks your foot doesn't move around so much it's good Especially when you're running. Okay, I'm going to start reading here. And so, these extraterrestrials, going back to them, they intervened in our past because the, the creator of our solar system, our mother and father, God, and also the creator of the Milky Way galaxy, the mother and father, God of the uh, central sun of the Milky Way galaxy, have... And it's universal law, too, not only our galaxy, but other galaxies that have dictated that certain alien civilizations will help the ones in lower evolutionary statuses, like us, 
So the higher ones help the lower ones, and that's what it's all about. And, you know, in this world, helping each other is what it's all about. Whether someone is homeless or in poverty or whatever the situation may be, you'll see that other people are always helping each other, and that's what we're meant to do. We're, we're all in this together. So it's the same principle that applies to the universe. You have higher civilizations which are kind of entrusted to look after the ones who are developing like we are. So if you break down the level of evolution on a scale of one to nine, whereas Earth would be a number one and these other civilizations are a number nine, then they are entrusted with guardianship and monitoring our civilization like they've been doing for thousands of years. And so that point I was making, not to forget, my friends, out, they're out there and they know about us and they've been helping us and trying to direct us to go down the right path, do the right thing for our planet, not destroy ourselves, live for love and peace. Is that possible? I think it is. We just need everyone to do their part. I feel I'm doing my part with this radio show. I know other people on BBS radio have some amazing radio shows as well. Also on television, you'll find some amazing shows. Although, like I said, there sure are a lot of violent, fantasy violence out there. And uh, they don't want to be told that they're doing that, you know. Letting, they're leading us down the wrong road. Don't you believe otherwise, my friends? Logically, you know. You fill your mind with fantasy violence, look what happens. You have these active shooters and people running people down with vehicles. You know, that's, that's reality. That's not fantasy violence. Don't be fooled by these movies and shows on television. Tell Hollywood, you know, your voice matters. Tell them that you want more real life, true stories. Give me something about some people, some troubles, some challenges they've been through, some successes, some victories, overcoming disease, a near-death experience, an extraterrestrial situation, a flying saucer that someone had an encounter with, true life, real story, fantasy, no more. Come on. Let's get on the bandwagon, the soul train, my friends. No more fantasy violence. Tell Hollywood, okay, you're making millions of dollars entertaining us with this fantasy violence not good. Is there any benefit of that? Uh, watching fantasy violence? Of course they make it out to be good versus evil and in the end good wins. Well, tired of it, you know, and it goes on and on. And I'm kind of suckered into watching these movies sometimes because there's nothing else to watch it seems. And we need that entertainment, you know, that hour or two away from the usual grind, you know. But anyway, back to the book. I thought it would be appropriate to read for you from a chapter, Who Jesus Really Was. And you can buy this book yourself. It is, in my opinion, you've heard of the uh, saying, the most interesting man in the world, you know, the Dos Equis guy. Well, I don't know about that being a beer, you know, beer has alcohol, and alcohol is one of the curses of this world. Although, if you have it under control, well, at least you think you do, then good for you. But me, 
I gave it up a long time ago. I didn't have to worry about it. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so the most interesting book in the world, I think, is Abduction to the Ninth Planet. And even if you don't totally believe with all of the stuff that's written in this book, and take it from me, it is true. It is real. But if you don't believe everything it says and has all of these secrets of the soul and of the universe that everyone should need to know. Everyone should know, you know? Everyone needs to know and should know. Anyway, Jesus was sent to us from them. And on the cover of Life magazine, I saw today in the store, the grocery store, checking out, think about Jesus, the man who existed all those years ago and the miracles he did. Most people don't have an explanation for how he did those miracles. They don't know the details. They don't care about him because mainly your soul is at that level of development where you don't think about those things. You know what I mean? But as an example or as an as a comparison, the movie Avatar, think about the beings who were blue, the blue-bodied sentient beings, how they were able to put themselves in those blue bodies. Now imagine, if you will, these advanced extraterrestrials and they wanted to send somebody to Earth to look like one of us, then just like we did with the people who were able to put their astral bodies or their spirits inside of the blue bodies, that's what they did with a human body, which they were able to create like they were able to create the avatar body. Yes, there is technology. And that's what it really boils down to, my friends, really good technology. With all the miracles from Jesus, all the intervention in Moses' time, the parting of the Red Sea, really good technology from up above. Because I've heard it from other people. They don't have an explanation for what happened. They can't explain it. They don't have any details. They just think it was like a magical wand or God has some power. Yes, it's true that God is magical, but... There are ways to break. Hey, 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 come on. Hey, you're ruining my show. Come on. You wanted to make a piece of Come on, man. Come on, brother. So the dogs just came out again. One of them was trying to get out to the backyard, and the other one has uh, that treat that I gave her. She's got it buried out there, so they were growling at each other. Anyway. So there, I've, I've told you kind of the secret of Jesus. And by the way, um, the icing on the cake in regards to whether or not that's true or not is the Star of Bethlehem. I've told you before, and I've told it on other shows before in the past, a heavenly body is always in motion, whether it's a star or a planet. And you can't have a planet or a star stop right up above something and shine a light down on it. That star of Bethlehem, that light that shined down on the stable where Jesus the baby was born was 
an instructional probe. And it mentions it here in the book, but I'm going to read a little bit from this book because I love reading out loud. It's good. You should try it too if, if you're wanting to develop yourself with public speaking. I guarantee you, if you read from a book out loud and you're nervous or frightened about public speaking, read from a book out loud. I'm, not, I'm talking about a book now, not a computer, you know, which has glare. It will help you. So here we go. As you know, an astral body or spirit being reincarnated as a baby passes through the river of oblivion and his earlier natural material knowledge is effaced or erased. Therefore, the child born in Bethlehem would not have been able to perform miracles even if he lived to 100 years of age. However, he was a superior being like Moses. This is proven by the way he astonished temple doctors at the age of 12. Like the very young people now on earth who are called geniuses because they seem to have a calculation in their heads, Jesus was a human being inhabited by a highly evolved astral body. And yet, even if he had studied in the very advanced schools on earth, among the Nagas, for example, he never could have acquired the knowledge to revive the dead or cure the sick. I know that on earth, there are people who believe that from the age of 12 until his return to Judea, Jesus studied in the monasteries of India and Tibet. That is how they try to explain the gap that exists in the Bible when Jesus simply disappeared from Bethlehem. He left his parents' home at the age of 14, accompanied by his 12-year-old brother, Luigi. He traveled to Burma, India, China, and Japan. His brother accompanied Jesus everywhere until Uwiki was accidentally killed in China. Jesus took a lock of Uwiki's hair with him, for he loved him very much. Jesus was 50 years of age when he arrived in Japan, where he married and had three daughters. Finally, he died in the Japanese village of Shingo, where he had lived for 45 years. He was buried in Shingo, which is on the main island of Japan, Honshu, and beside his tomb is another containing the little box holding Yuiki's lock of hair. Those of your fellow men who like evidence go to Shingo, formerly known as Hawaii, in the district of Aimori. But let's go back to our precise mission in this regard. The only messenger we could send to earth had to be one of us. The Christ who died on the cross in Jerusalem was called Arioch. He was brought by us to the desert of Judea, having volunteered to change his physical body. Thus, he abandoned his hermaphrodite body, which he had lived in some considerable time on Thyuba, and took on the body of Christ, created for him by our Thyoli, which were their very wise men. By so doing, he maintained totally the knowledge he possessed on Thyuba. Why couldn't he have remained in his body and simply reduced it in size like Latoli and Biostra did in front of me? Couldn't he have stayed long enough in a shrunken body, which they can do, these extraterrestrials can shrink their bodies 
and they can levitate their bodies. And they have amazing technology there on their planet. There was another problem, Michael. He had to resemble a human being from Earth in all respects. And since we are hermaphrodites, about nine feet tall, male and female, kind of like transgender, my friends, we couldn't risk the Hebrews noticing that this messenger from God was half female. We can regenerate a body at will, which is why you have seen so few children on Thio Uba. We can also create a body, as I have just explained, and we can reduce it in size. Don't look at me like that, Michael. I realize that it is difficult for you to assimilate all this and to believe what I tell you. But we have already revealed enough for you to know that we are capable of mastering most natural phenomena. Jesus, who came from Thio was taken by us into the desert, and you know what followed. He knew that he would come up against numerous difficulties, and that he was going to be crucified. He knew all, for he previewed his life with us. But he had done so as an astral body in a physical body, not through the river of oblivion like a baby does, my friends. He remembered, just as you will remember and will always remember, your journey to move and the glimpses of your previous lives. The visions, I repeat, seen by astral bodies and physical bodies are not erased in the way that visions seen by astral bodies with the higher selves are. Thus, he knew all and knew exactly what to do. Of course, he had the power to resuscitate the dead, cure the blind and the deaf. And when he was crucified and dead, we were there to take him away and revive him. We rolled the stone from the tomb quickly took him to our spacecraft, which was positioned nearby, and there revived him. At the right moment, he appeared again, thereby providing his immortality, showing that there was indeed life after death, and regenerating hope among the people by persuading them that they did belong to the Creator, and that each of us possesses a spark of his her divinity. So all his miracles were performed in order to prove that what he preached was true, said Michael. Yes, said Thyra, because the Hebrews and the Romans would never have believed him if he hadn't proven himself. There was a very good example of the strength of skepticism among people on earth regarding the Shroud of Turin. Although millions believe in the coming of Jesus and practice more or less Christian religions, they were anxious to hear the results of the research by experts into whether or not the shroud covered Christ after his death. You now know the answer to this. However, people seek proof, and more proof, and still more proof, for doubt still exists in their minds. Buddha, an earthling, who acquired his understanding through his own study, did not say, as your fellow men do, I believe, but rather I know. Faith is never perfect, but knowledge is. When you return to Earth and tell your story, the first thing you will be asked is for evidence. If we were to give you, for example, a piece of metal which doesn't exist on Earth, there would always be one among the experts who analyze it who would insist that you prove the metal was not created by a clever alchemist of your acquaintance or some such thing. Will you give me something as proof, said Michael? Michael, don't disappoint me. You will have no material proof for precisely the reasons I have just outlined. There would be no point. 
Faith is nothing in comparison with knowledge. Buddha knew, and when you return to earth, you too will be able to say, I know. There is a well-known story of doubting Thomas, who wanted to touch Christ's wounds, for seeing them with his own eyes did not convince him enough. And yet, when he touched them, he was still doubtful. He suspected some kind of magic trick. You know nothing of nature on your planet, Michael. And as soon as understanding as something occurs, which is a little beyond your understanding, everyone claims it is magic. Levitation equals magic. Invisibility equals magic. And yet we are only applying natural law. Rather, you should say levitation equals knowledge. And invisibility equals knowledge. And my friends, the miracles that Jesus performed equals knowledge and technology too. So Christ was sent to earth to preach love and spirituality. He had to contend with people who were not highly evolved, speaking to them in parables. When he tipped over the merchant's tables at the temple, angry for the first and only time, he was making a statement against money. His mission was to impart a message of love and goodness. Love one another, and also to enlighten the people in regard to the reincarnation of astral bodies and immortality, my friend. This was all distorted by priests in this time that followed the numerous disagreements, which, and numerous disagreements led to the rise of the many sects which claimed to follow the teachings of Christ. Christians throughout the centuries have even killed in the name of God. The Inquisition was a good example, and the Spanish Catholics in Mexico behaved worse than the most savage tribes, all in the name of God and Christ. Religions are a veritable curse on your planet, as I, as I have said, and as I have proved. As for the new sects that are springing up and flourishing all over the world, they are based on control by brainwashing. It is terrifying to see young people, healthy in body and spirit, throw themselves at the feet of charlatans, claiming to be gurus and great masters, when the latter are masters of only two things, talking and collecting fabulous sums of money. This, of course, gives them power and enormous pride to see themselves dominating entire crowds of people who submit to them, body and soul. Not long ago, there was even one leader who asked his followers to commit suicide, and they obeyed. Since on earth they love proof, there is an excellent one to give them. Universal law forbids suicide. If this master had been genuine, he would have known this. In demanding this sacrifice from them, he presented the greatest proof of his ignorance. Sex and religions are a curse on earth, and when you see that the Pope sets aside millions of francs or dollars for his travel, when he could make do with much less, and use what money is available to help countries suffering from famine, you cannot persuade me that this is the word of Christ which directs such action. There is a passage in your Bible that says, It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter paradise. The Vatican is certainly the wealthiest church on your planet, and yet the priests have made vows of poverty. They have no fear of being damned, yet they believe in damnation. 
Because they say it's the church which is rich, not them. This is really just a play on words since they made the church. It's like the son of a multi-billionaire claiming that he is not rich, only his father is. The church has not distorted the message in the Bible relating to wealth. They have used it to their advantage. For isn't it preferable that the rich grow poor at the profit of the church? Or isn't it preferable that the rich grow poor at the profit of the church? If the young generations on earth are in the process of self-examination, they have come to a turning point. Events have led them to it, and I know that they feel alone more than any younger generation has before them. It isn't by absorbing sex or religious groups that they're going to be free of their solitude. First, if you want to elevate yourself, you must meditate and then concentrate, which is different, although often the two are confused. You do not need to go to a special place, but the greatest and most beautiful temple of man is inside himself. There, he can enter into communication with his higher self by concentration, asking his higher self to help him surmount his earthly material difficulties. But certain people need to communicate with other human beings, like themselves, and they can meet together for this purpose. Those of them who are more experienced would be able to give advice, but no one should ever adopt the position as master. The master came 2,000 years ago, or rather, I should say, one of the masters, but men crucified him. However, for approximately 300 of your years, the message he brought with him was followed. After that, it was distorted, and now on earth, you've returned to a point that is worse than of 2,000 years ago. You have returned to a point that is worse than that of 2,000 years ago. The young generations of whom I have just spoken are rising up on your planet and realizing little by little two things I have been talking about. But they must learn to look inside themselves for their answers. They should not wait for help to come to them from elsewhere, or they will be disappointed. When Thio finished speaking, I could clearly see that her aura had become dull. Outside, the rain had stopped. The sun shone on huge white clouds, tinting them blue and pink. The trees whose branches swayed in a gentle breeze looked refreshed, and a thousand rainbows danced in the droplets of water which clung to their leaves. The sweet songs of birds welcoming the sun's return blended with the soft musical sound of the insects and the light. That moment was the most magical I had yet encountered. Neither of us felt like talking, and we allowed our souls to drink their fill of the beauty around us. And Mike was talking about his time there on the planet. It was the sound of laughter and happy voices that roused us from our peaceful state. Turning around, we saw Biastra, Latoli, and Nishinusa approaching, each flying with their own terror, which is the way they are able to transport themselves there on the planet. It's a belt that goes around the waist that uh, renders the uh, electromagnetic force of the planet neutral so that they can fly, so to speak, and then by using this handheld device, they can point themselves in a direction. 
either up, down, left, right, or forward or backwards. They landed just in front of the dokos, which are the places where they live, which look like eggs, and entered without fog, large smiles illuminating their faces. We stood up to welcome them, and greetings were exchanged in the language of Fayouba. I was still able to understand all that was said, although I was unable to speak the language. They didn't seem to matter, though, since I had little to say. This didn't seem to matter, though, although I had little to say. And in any case, if I spoke French, those who couldn't understand my words understood my message telepathically. Well, I'll stop reading there. How am I doing on time? Well, 6.49. That's two more minutes. Once refreshed with drinks of hydromel, I'll keep going, in other words, everyone was ready to leave again. I put my mask on. He had to wear a mask because the colors are so intense there. And the atmosphere is brighter there. Actually, I think I'll, I'll read from another part. Let me see if I can find about um, Moses. Here he's talking about Moses, back in Moses' time. This begins in the chapter that was Christ. I've read from the latter part of the chapter. This occurred during the time of the Pharaoh Seti I. It was a time when the people of earth had all become materialistic. In Egypt, it was common in high society to take drugs, likewise in Greece. Fornication with animals was by no means rare something which is absolutely contrary to nature and universal law. Our mission being to help when it was necessary, we decided to change the course that history was taking by intervening at that point. We had to get the Hebrews out of Egypt, where they could no longer evolve as a free people while under the evil domination of the Egyptians. It was decided to send a man capable and just to lead the Hebrews from Egypt and back to the land they had occupied previously, that is, soon after their arrival on Earth. On the planet Naxity, a planet of the eighth category, a man by the name of Exultan had just died. His astral body was waiting to be reincarnated on Thiauba when it was put to him that instead he might be the liberator of the Hebrews. He agreed to this and went to Earth as Moses. Moses then was born in Egypt of Egyptian parents. His father was the equivalent of a sub-lieutenant in the army. Moses was not born a Hebrew. That is yet another error in the Bible. The story of the little Hebrew baby set adrift in the water and rescued by a princess is very romantic, but incorrect. What a shame. I always loved that story. It's quite wonderful, like a fairy story, said Michael. Fairy tales are indeed very pretty, Michael, but you must concern yourself with the truth, not fantasy. Promise me that you will only report what is the truth. Of course, have no fear, Thio. Your instructions will be followed to the letter, so to speak. I was explaining then that Moses was born in an Egyptian military family. His father's name was Lakote. Until the age of 10, Moses played often with the Hebrew children. A pretty and amiable child, he was popular with the Hebrew mothers who indulged him with offerings of sweets. 
In turn, they won his heart, and he came to love his Hebrew friends like brothers. This is why he was incarnated, of course. But you must realize that, after having seen his life as Moses flashed before him, and after accepting to live that life, all details of it were erased from his memory. He passed through what certain Nagas have called the River of Oblivion. This happens whether one accepts or rejects a possible reincarnation. Of course, there is a reason for it. If, for example, you remembered that around four years of age, you would lose your wife and two children in a car accident, and that you yourself would be confined to a wheelchair, the knowledge could tempt you to take your life rather than face up to your troubles, or it might lead you to behave badly in other spheres. So the film, film, is erased in something like the way you wipe out a tape recording. Occasionally, by accident, the machine does not erase everything, and you can hear brief portions of what should have been erased. Of course, my analogies are fanciful when I speak of films and tape recordings, but I hope they give you an idea of what I'm trying to explain. In reality, the process involves electrophonics, which means nothing yet to people on Earth. This, in fact, occurs often in the films that the higher self shows to an astral body, which is why most people say, on several occasions in the course of their lives, I've seen that before, or I've heard that before, and they know what the very next action or word will be. In English, people call this feeling deja vu. Yes, I understand well what you're saying, said Michael. The strangest such experience that I have had was when I was in French Equatorial Africa. I was in the army, and we were on maneuvers about 600 kilometers from base. We were approaching the Tehad border, and I was standing with other soldiers in the back of a troop carrier facing the road. Suddenly, I recognized the road as if I'd been there just a fortnight before. I was as though hypnotized by this stretch of road that ended with a right-angled bend. I recognized the road, however. I was also sure that around the bend, I was going to see a little straw hut all by itself. That's it, my friends. I've got one minute. Check out that book. It's one of my favorite books. It is my favorite book. Now, as far as the Bible is concerned, you know, there's a lot of truth in the Bible, so don't get me wrong. The Bible is a great, the greatest account of divine intervention on this planet. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. It's been good. Thank you for listening. I love you, and may the creator of the universe bless us. Everybody, everybody, all God's children. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.